Hey there, this is Jason and Paul, and we encourage you to follow us on Instagram at stateofloveandtrust underscore pod, where we can continue the conversation with you. Thanks for listening. And now, let's get to the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. State of Love and Trust, a Pearl Jam podcast. Jason Carapesi here alongside Paul Guglieri. Hello, hello. Hello to all of you. Um, good Tuesday to you, I hope. Paul, how's your Tuesday? It's not a Taco Tuesday. I wish it was a Taco I Tuesday. I wish it was a Taco Tuesday, too. It was a, it was a, sea, a chicken Caesar salad Tuesday. Okay. Tonight, but, uh, mine, mine was hey. a laka night. That's all we had. <laughs> we had like frozen lakas from Trader Joe's. Quite good, but... Outstanding. Not yeah. tacos. Um, well, let's get uh, some of the logistics out of the way. Obviously, you can find us on uh, Twitter and Instagram, uh, State of Love and Trust underscore pod. Uh, we always have tons of cool clips from the episode that you are going to be listening to or that you have already listened to or that you want to listen to. We've got some fun uh, fun extra stuff that, that we post and we always have the um, on this day clip with the proper appropriate concert artwork on our story. So always check that thing out. Um, and you know, shoot us a comment. We've had some really interesting um, discussions on some of the comments recently about some of the songs and some of the choices that you've made, Paul, particularly. Yeah, I need to start being more active. You do in that regard, Jason. People are calling you out, man. They are, as they should be, you know. But uh, I don't know, man. I feel like um, I've just neglected. I, a better <laughs> word is I've rejected certain aspects of social media, and that has, as I've grown older, evolved into neglected. And okay. so I think that at this point in time, I need to start embracing. Uh, the gram, as the kids call it, right? Is that is, is that how, is that is that, is that what they call Instagram? I don't know. I, don't know. I, I called things Liddy last week, and I'm probably completely off my rocker with that. So you could be wrong with Graham. I don't know. I don't know, dude. Look, I you know I, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, but I mean I, I gotta oh, get. Speaking of, we have a Facebook Facebook we group, do. guys. You're so right. we're posting there now. I figure, hey, that's a forum people still use, right? When they aren't sharing Karen stories, they're sharing, you know, about Pearl Jam. So let's go ahead and talk about Pearl Jam there too. So you'll find us, State of Love and Trust, Pearl Jam Podcast. Do a little search. You'll see us. Same uh, insignia. Um, and yeah, so find us there. Let's let's have a chat. Let's just let's have a chat. So anyways, this week, this week, we are going to talk about um, our favorite album closers. We spoke about um, our favorite album openers a few weeks ago. And so you said, you know what? I want to do closers. And I go, you know what? That's a hell of an idea. Let's do that. So that's what we're going to do first. And then we're going to dip back into a segment that we haven't done in a while called uh, Do the Evolution, where we're going to talk about a song that has evolved over time. Uh, We will get into that in a little bit. And then obviously our live cut and lyric of the week later on. But first, Paul Guglieri, I'm going to start with you. We need your your best album closer. And if you want to explain like any kind of ground rules that you set for yourself, please, by all means. You know, in terms of criteria, Jason, I was kind of torn on this because on one hand, the easiest way to go about doing this is to say, oh, what are my favorite songs? You know, mm-hmm. just, just take all the songs that end their albums and then just pick my five favorite and say, these are the top five. That being said, I think that there is... There's an intention behind the construction of an album. When, when the band decides track placement uh, and they pick a song to go last, it's, it's part of the journey that you take in the listening experience. And as a band that has embraced vinyl in the way that they have, there is a certain way that I think you need to approach the band's music. And you need to, you need to really think about the last track of a Pearl Jam album, not as an independent isolated single. And that's hard to do for a lot of folks because we live in an era now where you can buy singles. You know, you, and we have lived in this era for quite some time. You can go online and you can just you know, scroll through an album and just sample 15 seconds and then just buy the four or five tracks that you like. And you don't really think about the relationship the last track has to the, to the narrative of the album, you know, the story that's being told. And that's not to suggest that 
if your Pearl Jam album is a concept album. It's, they, they're not. But I do believe that when they write a record, you know, when they compose a record, they still do so with the intention that it's going to be a listening experience for the, for the fan and that it's meant to be played from beginning to end. And that a lot of folks are going to listen to it as such. And therefore, there's, there's purpose behind that last track. And sometimes you can have a very poignant, beautiful ending to a film. That doesn't necessarily mean it's your, your favorite ending of all films. You know what I mean? And so uh, to that end, I think that there are certain songs that they've closed albums with that for me as a criteria, the first thing that I asked myself was, how, why was this song chosen as a, as a closer? Why, was the, what, why did the band say, you know what, let's end it this way? Um, and if it made sense to me as a listener, I mean, obviously it makes sense to them, but if it made sense to me in a way that I thought enhanced the listening experience of the album, then that was, you know, a star as it were, or a point, however you want to think about how we're evaluating these uh, I would also say that <clears throat> it has to be a song I enjoy. You know what I mean? Honestly, if, if it's, yeah. I, they don't have an album closer except one that I generally skip. <clears throat> I think there's probably um, two. Oh, oh, fair enough. For you, there's two. <laughs> for, for me, there's two. Yeah. But, uh, but, but one of those two, I will on more than one occasion let play through. One of those, it's like once a year, I will let play through. <laughs> Um, but I will, I will let that one play through. Although I do have a, a, a funny aside on that particular track, which I'll get to in a minute. But I think that <clears throat> it has to be a song I enjoy. Uh, it has to make sense within the general construct of the listening experience of that of a given album to me as a listener. And then uh, I think, arguably, most importantly to me, and, and this is kind of this is going to sound a little backwards, but is it the type of album closer? that can serve as a concert opener. And I know mm. that that sounds bizarre, but... No, it doesn't. I get it. Oh, okay, there you go. And, and the reason I say that is because I feel like there's something about Pearl Jam's music that's cyclical. That when you listen to an album that they put together and you hear that last song, it's not meant to be, we've heard it, let's close the lid of our record player or press stop on the CD player and walk away. I think that it's supposed to stay with you. And as such, when you see the band play live, there's something about beginning a show with the song that was an album closer that makes you feel like you have left that listening experience and you are now joining them on what will now be a live experience. I don't know. It's, it's this weird, um, almost like, uh, I don't want to call it a rite of passage, but it's more like a, uh, passing through a threshold type of thing mm -hmm. where, where you hear an album closer and it, it, when it, it's played live, it feels like a way to usher you into a, the live experience from the band. So those are all the things that I had in mind as I was going through these. How about you? That actually um, is, a, is a much more articulate way of what I said with the album openers thing was, could any other song open this album? Well, can any other song close this album? That's in the a great way to look at it. Yeah. In the context of the rest of the art in this package, you know, you look at an opener and you look at a closer, and are they the bookends that we assume Pearl Jam wants them to be? And I feel like that's what you're saying, and and that's that's actually exactly how I looked at this too. Is you know, could any other song really bookend the album? Mm. And if it if there wasn't another song, then that was a huge mark. And that was the same thing with the openers. If any other song couldn't open the album, then pff, massive bonus points. So I think you're going to see a lot of that from, from me. And I, I assume I'm going to see a lot of that from you. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm going to begin actually with a question for you. And okay. the question is, we've got a top five. Mm -hmm. Are there any worthy honorable mentions that deserve a nod here, Jason? Um, I'm going to address, um, I, I do have two quick points to make, and that is, um, I, this is tough, but I, I cannot include the song River Cross. And I say that because even though it, it seems like musically there's no other song that could have closed Gigaton, and that the, you know, the outro of Share the Light Won't Hold Us Down is really 
what the listener needs to hear after listening to the rest of the album. Mm-hmm. I simply don't like the first four and a half minutes of the song as a song. <laughs> so while it totally makes sense in the context of the album, I just don't like the song enough. So it's it's like in like the seven or eight spot for me, probably seven spot. And then the other song um, would be, uh, should I even say it now or should I wait for my turn? It's your call. I'll just let's say wait. it now. Oh, you're you right, wait? Yeah, let's wait. Let's okay, wait. Okay, that's right. So let's you go, you go ahead and you tell me if you have a, a number six kind of bonusy thing or. Okay, I do. I do have a number six bonusy thing. Cool. Uh, my bonusy thing, Jason, is <laughs> is, part, is parting ways. Um, this is a song that did not immediately speak to me when I first heard Binaural. As a matter of fact, that album in general didn't immediately speak to me. We, had a, whole, we had a whole show on that, my friend. We, we did, exactly. <laughs> so we're, we're not going to rehash what the track listing of that album should have been, according to me. But uh, this particular song, even if you throw all those B-sides in there, you know what I mean? Even if you, if you just completely just fill that album up, there's still a compelling argument that Parting Way should end the album. It's uh, There is actually something very euphoric about the song um and at the same time very eccentric too there, there, there's a lot of experimentation on binaural and they seem to find a way to capture what i think is one of the more epic sounding songs on the album yes, it, yes. It, it's a very uh subdued album but that particular track it's it the out it, it feels you look at the cover of that album and to me if that if that image was reflective of, of much of the existentialism and the, the distance that, that you feel in much of the earlier songs that precede parting ways, there's something about the tonality of that song and the way it was composed that feels like it, it could parallel that image that, that, that the, the, the imagery that you see of just being lost in the stars and just the, the vast, just kind of vacancy that is outer space. Mm. There's something in that song there. And, and, you know, you get these last lines, you know, drifting away, drifting away, and you are, you're just drifting away into outer space. This concept of just drifting away and, and the atmosphere, atmosphere, Mm-hmm. of binaural uh, all of it seems to come together beautifully in in a song like parting ways and what i think works so well uh, are these opening lines behind her eyes there's curtains and they've been closed to hide the flames remains and she knows their future is burning but she can smile just the same and though her mood is fine today there's a fear they'll soon be parting ways and and then of course you get his perspective. You know, there's not the lyrics are very sparse in this in this track. Right. There's a fear they'll soon be parting ways. Standing like a statue, a chin of stone, a heart of clay. Hey, and though he's too big a man to say, there's a fear they'll soon be parting ways. And so you just have these two people that they know the inevitable is coming, and they're just putting on a smile just the same. Um, or you know she's putting on the smile and he's kind of remaining as stoic as can be, as though nothing's wrong. And it just seems to capture on so many levels what the album was talking about, which is just, you know, here's what, what, what's really going on. And then here's what we're pretending is going on. And uh, you get these songs, you know, like Grievance, which we'll talk about and Rival and uh, Significance and, and just this existential quality about the album that this song seems to capture beautifully. So I thought it was a wonderful ending to the album. I love Matt's drumming on it. Um, this one almost made my top five. Believe I love it. how you you are waxing so beautifully poetic about this song, and it's not even it's not even five. A top five. I, know, I know. Wow. Okay. So, what is your top five? Okay. So coming in at number five is a song that we've already spoken about quite a bit. So I'm not going to spend too much time on it today. But it's around the bend, and the reason it's around the bend for me is um, that that particular album. I think it was Jeff said that this this album, No Code, was very much about the band growing up. It was graduating away from this five against one, you know, this rebelling against all things, the angst-ridden band that was the voice of the disgruntled, disenfranchised generation or whatever you want to call it. There's something about this album when the band finally said it was time to turn a new leaf. And they lost a lot of fans because of that. And it's unfortunate because I feel like this album has become very special in the hearts of Pearl Jam fans over the years that have continued to ride this wave with the band. And I've come to love the album and appreciate it in ways that 
far surpass how I felt about it when it first came out in, in the mid 90s. Yeah. This particular track, though, you know, we talk about the band growing up. What is more indicative of growing up than having children? Exactly. And, you know, here's Eddie writing what essentially amounts to a lullaby or bedtime song for Jack Irons' kid. And, and to close the album that way, I thought was symbolic of this concept of the band growing up. And so for me, I think that this song was kind of the perfect ending for an album that signified the new Pearl Jam, the grown-up Pearl Jam, hmm. you know, the Pearl Jam that had turned that new leaf. And I think it's a, a perfect album closer. Um, I know a lot of folks maybe don't like the song. They feel like, you know, it just doesn't fit on the album. Or, But if you really think thematically what that song the place that it has in the evolution of the band and who they were as men and as people at the time and what the album represents i think that it's a perfect fit and as i mentioned in the past you know it's a song that i has grown on me to the point where it's one of my my i don't want to say it's my favorite pearl jam song it's not but it's a song that i genuinely do enjoy and love it's people who say that that song doesn't fit on no code I, I think they're just in their minds comparing it to verses and, and ten because it, Which you can't it, do. It absolutely does fit into that album. And if if you're the kind of person who you know only looks at the band through the first two albums, which you know is easy to do because for a long time I feel like that's what I did too, and for very good reasons because they're fucking awesome, <laughs> uh, and that's how what I grew up on. But you if you if you stand back and you look at you know look at it from you know a few. Uh, few miles up you see the how pivotal that record was and how that song fits in there um i, I don't want to go too far down that road um because perhaps it'll, it'll show up soon but i will say that my bonus song i, I mentioned river cross so it's not going to be here but my, my bonus song that i i oh god i was so close i wanted to get it in but i just couldn't i couldn't couldn't do it the end what backspacer that did not make your top it did, five. It did not make my top five. Well, Paul and just I, foreshadowed something there, didn't he? Uh, yeah, you did. <laughs> so musically and thematically, this song needs to close Backspacer. It's got a, a similar dynamic come down that you get from like indifference or release, you know, after the album being like right. kind of high energy, you know? So, you know, it's a letter to one's family, as you know, they're f as you know, that you are fading away from disease. That you, you know, the end is coming. It's not an unknown. It's, you know, this might be, the most haunting album closer they've written, you know, um, as a father, the line, give me something to echo in my unknown future's ear is particularly Literally one of the best Pearl Jam lines of all time. It's fantastic. <laughs> and you know, the gasp of breath in your right headphone right before he sings the last word gives me chills. I'm getting goosebumps. Like, can you see it? We're on zoom guys. You, yeah, yeah, so you can see my goosebumps. Um, so could any other song close Backspacer? Absolutely not. It has to be the closer. I just think it misses out because, well, for one, it's not a full band performance. So that isn't as... That's a fair critique. A little bit of a, little bit of a knock because of that. And also, I just like it a little bit less on a purely song level as my like numbers four and five, for example. So it's elevated sort of equal status is because it's a great album closer. So... God, I wish I could have it in there, but the five songs that I'm going to mention here are just a wee bit higher on the old uh, on the old table. So, with that uh, out of the way, I know I'm basically doing a top six at this point. Uh, my number five. <laughs> I, we we both have. All right, what are you going to do? It's our show. Fuck them. So, <laughs> number five. There we go. Around the bend. Look at that. Hey, going around the bend. So. I foreshadowed a little bit. I didn't want to, I had to put some some space in between. So you spoke about this one before and it's, yeah, it's just a really sweet lullaby and I don't know how you can listen to this music and not feel a little heavy-eyed yourself, you know? Yeah. It's got that beautiful little lullaby, um, you know, meter to it and lyrically, it's a send-off. So it's literally sending you off to sleep but if you look at it more, more abstractly, it's a goodbye of sorts. So it makes sense to be that album closer. To your point, that send-off, right? Yeah. Couple that with sometimes, which is that, like, come and sit with me at the campfire and let's just kind of enjoy yeah. this experience. It's a perfect bookend when you compare it to sometimes. So double double layers, it, it, it makes sense in that in that regard, yeah. right? So, you know, there's, like, these little piano parts in the post-chorus or, like, little fluttering of a butterfly. And, you know, something makes this song 
uh, feel even more whimsical than like my memory serves. Like I, that that part right there, I, I always forget that that's there. And then I was really listening to it. And I go, oh my God, that's, that little part right there. That's great. Now, could any other song have closed No Code? Um, I feel like one could make a case for Off He Goes. Present tense. Mm, I could see it, but I wouldn't close with it. And we'll get there when we do our No Code retracking. Wait. <laughs> uh, and not to get too ahead of ourselves, but I, I could see a, a really good argument for Off He Goes. But this is just too hard uh, um, for me to push off the closing spot. It's a, it's a literal send off. It's you know, good night. I mean, Agreed. what is what does Eddie say at the end of each show? Goodbye and good night. So yeah. there you go, <clears throat> number five. Yeah. So what's your number four? So number four for me is the end. Um, mm. It's a it's a beautiful, aching, heartfelt love song. Not in the most romantic of ways that you would conventionally think of, right? You, you think uh, it's an aching love song and it's supposed to be something that's about losing love, usually due to mistakes, right? That's not what this is. This is a song about love that was maintained and it's nature that has intervened and said, now it's time to move on. And for me, I feel like this song happens for the band on an album or really a series of albums where th- this was a time in the band's life where I think they were starting to grapple more with the concept of mortality. Mm. You know, they weren't these young bucks or, or even these, these, these gentlemen in their you know mid to late thirties anymore. I mean, at this point in time, they had families, they had kids, you know, there had been battles with addiction. They've, they had seen sadly at, you know, witnessed the death of many friends from the scene in which they, came out of and, and you know with this Chris, is pre-Chris Cornell Chris, pre-Chris Cornell so and, pre, and pre-Scott Wyland too I don't and, and that would only continue you know what I mean and so I think that this song was um, it's it's a song that I don't think Eddie could have ever written until he found himself in the situation he was in with the family that he has right now I think there was something um, very personal that was coming out of the of these lyrics, and you know, future days, which which comes out on the very next album, Lightning Bolt, to me was the more positive affirmation of what we saw in a song like The End, and it's it's a haunting track. I and mean, you very very eloquently talked about this track already, and and so I don't want to reiterate and be redundant so a lot of the notes that i had on this track you you echoed beautifully i should say i would just be echoing you because i thought you you your assessment of it was perfect it is the perfect album closer for that particular album Um, and and the way it's produced and that gasp at the end it's just a, a wonderful way to close an album and it's poignant and it leaves you reflecting and thinking and most importantly feeling and uh Gives you the feels, Jason. I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot. Best song on the album? Oh, God. You know, the, as soon as you said that, the very first song that popped into my brain was Unthought Known. Ooh. So, uh, which is strange, you know what I mean? But it's like, you put. we should do that one of these days. We should literally <laughs> take all the albums and just boom, you know, kind of go. spur of the moment. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And just see what happens. But uh, you, can't, you can't put any thought into it, though, you know? Yeah. Um, Unthought. Unthought. I, and maybe that is, maybe it's not. I don't know. I think at the time that's how I felt. But uh, this song, it it's a it's a special closer, I think. And for a while, for it's called the end. How do you not? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you you can't not close with it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Anyway, how about you, my friend? Number right. four. Number four for me. Um, you mentioned this earlier. Parting ways. Um, oh. You know, I said in our episode retracking binaural that parting ways had to be the closer. Um, you chose it as the closer too. Uh, so did the band. So obviously it should be the closer, right? Yeah. Three, boom, there you go. Case closed. Now, musically, there is no song on the record um, that, that that could possibly follow this. Uh, the concept of parting ways is quite literally an end, as you said uh, before. You know, it's, it's a relationship um, of some kind that this is the end of it. You know, the listener can fill in the blanks of what that relationship is um, and what Ed's intention is. Uh, but damned, it doesn't matter what he thinks the ending should, what that relationship is about. It's what you think it's about. And either way, it's a relationship ending. You know, the lyric drifting away, drifting away. How, how do you follow that? I don't, I don't know that you can. And then that very last guitar stroke, the affected feedbacky chord, 
is just perfect as the last thing that you hear with the strings kind of dancing around it before it fades to black. It's just fantastic. So could any other song close by Norrell? I I don't think so. I, I really don't think so. And I've always really enjoyed this song and it's not played live enough for my taste. Hey man, I completely agree with you. I uh, One of these days it's going to be our live cut of the week. And uh, the live cut that I have for it is mm. outstanding. Oh, what a tease. And uh, is a tease. Oh. You know? uh, but uh, it, 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 honestly, man, it's a song that the more I listen to it and the older I get, I enjoy it more and more and more. And uh, I could very easily see it inching its way into one of those songs that, you know, I tell people, oh, you got to hear this track. It's yeah. one of the one of the better songs that they have. So, By the way, speaking, I, I mentioned the strings bouncing around the, the guitars at the end. Add this to the list of songs that we wish that they would use in a set list with an orchestra. Yeah, agreed. I mean, you know? it's, it's really imagine? one of those songs that it there's it breathes that way, you know, mm-hmm. and it's it feels stifled, I think, and muted when it's played, and and you don't really bring the strings into it. I mean, there was you were with me at those uh, Universal City California 2009 shows, right? And they were they had it. They they played so exactly so they had they played just breathe like pretty much every show on that tour and the end and they played them back to back with a string quartet and they didn't do it for every show they did it in like a handful of cities so there's a reason why they brought a string quartet out just for those two songs because they elevated those songs and I know that obviously that's different because it's just Ed basically just Ed Uh, I know that just breathe has a little bit more to it going on underneath him and his acoustic guitar, but it's mainly just that. So when you ha- add those strings, it really elevates the, the track to be what it's right. meant to be and how you're supposed to feel it. So can you imagine a full band song like Parting Ways getting that treatment? I mean, this is, I hope you're listening to this because guys, p- do an orchestra thing. I mean, The Who did it, Metallica did it, uh, Alter Bridge did it. We got a bunch of bands that have done it. So do it, please. Agreed. All right, number three for you. So for number three, I'm going with Indifference. Um, it is, honestly, I don't think they have another song in the catalog that's anything like this. It is, uh, there's a blues quality to it, but there's something to me that is very, um, there's a positive affirmation in this song, but it truly captures what I think this entire album is about. And I say that because if you think about that album as the five against one album, right? I will stare the sun down until my eyes go blind. I won't change direction. I won't change my mind. You know, uh, I will make my way through one more day in hell. There's something, you know, this line here, I will stand arms outstretched, pretend I'm free to roam. Exactly. You know, there, there's something about this track that, seems to capture thematically what this entire album is about but verses was so loud you know it was mm-hmm. just a pulsating album bludgeoning it, it it truly bludgeons you in ways that 10 did not and, and part of that comes or stems from from the way 10 was mixed initially but but even if you look at the track listing on 10 you know there's kind of ups and downs the downs in um verses are are these they're not even quiet. I mean, a song like Elderly Woman just kind of comes at you. It bludgeons you with lyrics at the beginning, you it's know? Direct, uh, yeah. It really, really is. So there's something about this song that it just, it it's so quiet, you know? it. And you, you listen to this line, I will light the match this morning so I won't be alone. Very rarely is there a song where you, when you listen to the lyrics, you imagine the listening experience of the song is, is identical. Like it, it's the kind of song where I could literally be sitting in the dark and light a candle and listen to, you know, you early in the morning. The lyrics. You can see the lyrics. And strangely enough, it's almost as though that's the only way you should listen to the song because it, for them to capture a mood so perfectly was to me is lightning in a bottle. And, and I think that, you know, there's a reason why whenever they play with Ben Harper, he was always joining them for this track. You know, I mean, I think that it's an infectious right. track and uh, it really does capture the the mood of the album, the themes of the album. And 
like I said, I mean, there's just really nothing else like it in the catalog to me that has this type of cadence and rhythm and, and uh, it, 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 but it's not defeatist uh, to me. Um, I think it's very reflective, you know, it's very um, contemplative at the same time. But I, I mentioned that positive affirmation is just, I'm going to keep taking punches until their will grows tired <laughs> and I'll stare the sun down until my eyes go blind. Uh, I mean, those are some powerful lines, you know. So it's one of the it's one of the more lyrically powerful songs, and mm-hmm. uh, I, I wish they would play it more often. They used to play it more, and I feel like in the last ten years, it's kind of, you know, you'd think it would be. It's usually been one of the album close or one of the uh, show closers, and I feel like they've kind of leaned on, you know, "Rocking in the Free World" and "Yellow Ledbetter" um, a little too much for my taste. It's a little um, greatest hits tour kind of thing. Sure, which I wish they would kind of steer away from but um but yeah uh my third is inside job nice yeah uh musically this has to be the closer there is no song in avocado as epic sounding as you said uh, and i think the album closers you, you either go out with a bang like this or you go out with something really subdued that's completely that like really com- complements the main vibe of the record to that point and you know this song thematically, it feels the most introspective alongside maybe wasted reprise. And every other track, uh, I think one can make a good argument that Ed is singing to others, whereas Inside Job feels like an inner monologue. Mm-hmm. So you're like you're pumping yourself up to be better, to grow, to challenge to oneself after the journey the subject has taken in the rest of the album. So tell me you're gonna follow Mike's outro guitar solo? I don't think so, and <laughs> it's not happening. So. Musically and thematically, lyrically, could anything have else closed? No, it could not. So, hundred percent inside job. Um, I feel like you're probably gonna have this higher than me, maybe even next. And inside job is easily number three for me. Very cool. Uh, it's number two for me. There you go. I knew it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Thank you for that beautiful intro. Jason, you're welcome. To to the song, I can now step aside and we can move on to number one. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna read one lyric from this song, Jason. One lyric, and, and it it reads like this: I used to try and kill love; it was the highest sin, and and that's the line in the song that I've heard commented on the most. It's the line I've heard Eddie reference in interviews when when discussing the song. There's something about that line where you know he's he really is the, okay. To me, this song is the if if there's a character arc, mm-hmm. right? Take no way from yield, right? Take, you know, I'm not trying to make a difference. You know, you take take this this character that's basically just resigned himself to just let go and just disconnect. And who does that person become? And then, is there a happy happy ending? You know, and to me, this is the happy ending. This is the the bookend of that character arc. Hmm. Because you have the speaker who essentially realizes this is not who I am, and you know the process of trying to kill love essentially became self-sabotage. It became suicide ultimately, and that is the highest sin because there's no greater gift than love. And here I am trying to kill it. And I thought there's a, a profound element to that particular line. Um, and then it's the one that comes after it, actually, that actually explains why the speaker used to try and kill love. Breathing insecurity out and in. And very much, when you think about this album, the concept of insecurity and the, the, the damage that that has on a person and what we do to ourselves because of our inability to cope with what we're experiencing and our reluctance to face and take accountability for our choices and face those consequences. I just feel like, as you mentioned, you could not ask for a song that's more suited to close this particular album. And, and, you know, notice we call it Avocado. They just called it Pearl Jam. It was basically their Phoenix album. You know, here we are Mm. reborn type of a thing. And this line to me sums up the whole album. You know, the reason this is just Pearl Jam is because this is who we are now. You know, I used to try to kill love. It was the highest sin. This is what I learned. This is what we've learned. And here we are. And we're here to stay. And, uh, you know, it, it ends with life comes from within your heart and desire. Those are the, the, the line that it, those are the lines, pardon me, that get repeated over and over and over again. And 
it's true. Life does come from within. So, you know, are you going to orchestrate an inside job where, where you kill that? Or are you going to embrace and foster that and help love grow? And in the process, you grow with it. And especially think about the context of a bookending life wasted. Outstanding connection. Right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. There you go. <clears throat> All right. My second, uh, and I don't know how much I'm going to be able to say about this, is indifference. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, many parallels between how this song fits into the subject matter and tone and music of Versus, as does release with 10. Um, you know, Versus, maybe more than 10, I think we've spoken about this, is it's a musical onslaught, you know, in many ways. And there seems to be less ambiguity or nuance in the hard rockers of this of verses and they're more direct which makes them more jarring in relation to the softer more mid-tempo songs on the record for me so you know indifference it really poses a question that feels appropriate as the final statement of the first two records as a whole we fight and cry out for and argue for and scold and warn the listener over and over and over again and at some point one realizes that no matter the issue, um, many of the same hindrances or forces against you, you know, creep up time and time again. It's exhausting, right? So, at what point do you say, especially with you know, ten as versus his prologue of sorts, what difference does any of this make? So, you know, could anything have closed? Absolutely not. There, you know, I, I would listen to an argument for uh, River Muir, but. I would probably quickly shoot away. Um, yeah. You know, plus what you said, I, I don't see how anybody could could argue otherwise. Indifference got to be here. I totally agree with you. Yep. All right, here it is. Uh, there's absolutely no surprises here for for both of us. Number one, yeah, what do you got? Number one, it's release. It's <laughs> it's and here's the reason why though. That album features a lot of storytelling. There's a character and a story being told at once. There's a character and a story being told in even flow. There's a character and a story being told in Jeremy and so on and so on. And there are sprinkles of personal moments from the band. There was something about this track to end it. And it's it's just the opening two lines. I see the world, feel the chill. And it was no longer you know, I'm adopting the personality of, you know, the Mama San man, right? Mm. Or I'm adopting the personality of this guy walking by, and here's this this gentleman who's homeless, and so on and so on, like we see in, in Even Flow. This was Eddie just speaking to his father, and uh, it's one of the most personal, poignant moments I think you'll ever find in music. And uh, for a guy that's as, you know, at least at this time of his life, was very understated, was very uh, soft-spoken in a lot of respects when he would perform. Um, he was naked in this song and vulnerable. And to look up and say, oh, dear dad, can you see me now? I am myself like you somehow. I'll ride the wave where it takes me. I'll hold the pain, release me. It's, I mean, it's heartbreaking. It really is. Yeah. And uh, the relationship that he has with his, his father that he never met, or, or met once, I think, uh, once or twice, without knowing the man was his father. Mm. Right? And so you, you, you have this, this relationship that kind of gets explored musically here. And, I mean, obviously, as a song, it just it, it's a closer. You know what I mean? Uh, but I talked about songs that could close an album that would serve as beautiful openers. And to this day, it's arguably the best opener to a Pearl Jam show. Mm-hmm. It really is. I mean, there are other songs that, I mean, God, they got so many they could open a show with. But if they walk out on a stage and these are the first notes that people hear the place goes ballistic i mean it's they just go nuts man and it's uh and there's a reason for that you know and it's not pure nostalgia it's because this song is so iconic um it's 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 really difficult to not say this is the best album closer in the catalog well let me just continue the trend here because it's number one for me as well obviously uh you know musically it feels like an exhale. Yeah. 
uh, you know, like when you are so upset and emotionally exhausted that you slink back into the couch, you know, regardless of whether or not you think you've accomplished anything, you are drained. Yeah. Uh, th- that's what this song feels like in regards to 10. So, you know, it's almost like the rest of the album's tracks had like a pleading nature to them, crying out for change or help or venting or looking for someone to listen, which we've talked about many times before that that's what their music does. Um, this is the end where the subject feels vulnerable finally you know the guard is down and you know, we see what's behind the curtain exactly it's yeah. you know the Oz moment and how could anything else possibly close this record you know I don't, I don't know that it's a a perfect one-to-one bookend with once. with once but it's it absolutely ends the the emotional onslaught that, that you've been hit with for the first 10 songs. Right. And then here it is. It's just, you know, like I said, the guard is down, naked Eddie, you know, professing this vulnerability to to a subject in his life that he doesn't know a lot about, but obviously wants to and feels is a very important thing for him to know about. And it's a, it's a plea, you know? It is. And to me, it's a necessary song. I think we live... Uh in an era where men are almost shunned for being vulnerable. And here is a song that's one of the best in a, a hard rock group's catalog that's very much about a man being vulnerable. And so uh, for anybody listening that's maybe going through some things, you know, this is a, a song that is a worthy listen on many, many counts. Um, you know, I've brought it up before and um, one of our other uh friends who do Pearl Jam show a uh, podcast um, have, have spoken to this gentleman. Uh, I believe his name is Dr. John Evans. And um, he was the gentleman who camped out for multiple days before the Wrigley shows in 2016 did a film about. And so in the film, you see him being interviewed about, um, you know, being camp- camped out for days and then wh- you know, what songs he want to see. And he says release because I think he said his, his dad has recently passed. And that was the song that they, you know, really got on with. And then this, this story, you know, from the producers of the, of the film gets to Eddie and he mentions that. And then they, they, they play release and they just cut to, you know, the doctor front row and he's just welling up and crying. That's how much this song means. And if you have a special relationship with your father, if you are, if you are lucky enough to know them and to have a really powerful bond it only emboldens the message of the song. So absolutely. You, you talk about again, goosebumps. I don't know if you can see them. There they are. Um, <laughs> apologies for the mic uh, creep guys, but you know, you, you talk about a show opening with this song and we'll do a, we'll do a whole show about what is the best concert opener. You know, I'll tell you right now, guys, it's going to be hard to, to boot release off the top of that hill. Um, it's possible when I think about it more, but it's, there's a reason why people go ape shit when they open with it. Absolutely. And you and I are both fathers, Jason, you know, and it's, uh, I don't think either one of us wants our children looking at us one day saying, I am myself like you somehow, you know what I mean? <laughs> somehow is a, uh, is a strong word there. My it friend. really, really is, you know? So I, I don't want my children holding the pain and looking up to the heavens saying, release me. So yeah. there's, there's a lot happening here. All right. Um, well, that's, kind of how I thought that this, this would go and uh, release a very worthy winner in our books. So mm-hmm. we will put a pin in that and we will move on to our Do the Evolution segment. It's evolution, baby! It's evolution, baby! All right, Do the Evolution. Uh, this is where we talk about a song that has evolved over the years and how it's played or how it sounds. Uh, the first song we did way back when was Black. Um, that became that went from a, an Eddie song to a Mike song, essentially. And so yeah. this week we're going to do what song? WMA. You know, this particular track, Jason, White Male American, uh, I'll tell you, I said this to you before we started recording. If, if this tour was happening right now, I guarantee you with, with the Black Lives Matter movement, all these, pro- the, the, how this song would not be played on the regular in 2020 would blow my mind. It it would absolutely be making frequent appearances here, I think. And uh, this particular track, 
1995, February 18th, 1995, had been the last time that they had played this song up until June 14th, 2008. That's a pretty big gap. I mean, we're talking, uh, you know, more than 10 years at that point, right? I mean, let's see, 95, 05, 13 years. So they come back with the song and it's not the drum intro. Instead, it's Stone on the guitar, and it's an unplugged acoustic guitar, and it comes at you in a very different way, and the vocals of the band, the harmonizing, all of them singing this together seem to take center stage, whereas that song has always been so percussive to me that it was just Dave on the drums, and it, was, it, it just took the lead, and it became essentially the beating heart of the track. And that took a backseat in Bonnaroo on June 14th, 2008. So if we transport ourselves back to Tennessee in 08, we get to hear a reimagined version of the song that sadly, I don't believe we've heard since 2008. I know it it made another appearance. Uh, Interestingly enough, on June 25th, 2008 in New York, they played the same song. And again, it was Stone leading in with the acoustic guitar but it was not played the same way. It was almost like he was playing the same notes, but the, 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 the way he, the strumming pattern completely changed. Hmm. So if you get a chance, listen to Bonnaroo 08 and New York, June 25th, 08 WMA, and you will hear what feels like two different songs. And it's pretty miraculous how you can kind of come out of track three different ways when you count the original four, if you add in the fact that it's often played as a tag and was for many years. Um, but yeah, evolution of a song. I'd love to hear this track played this way in the future, just because it feels so colloquial and, um, it feels communal in the way that it's played here in 2008 at Bonnaroo. And I think that it's a protest song. It's an anthem in many respects, and it feels like an anthem when it's played like this. It doesn't quite feel the same way when it's played the way that it, it, it appears on the album. Interesting, because like, you know, well, stats out of the way first, um, it's been played 16 times as itself, right? And, but it's been tagged 106, and those stats come from our friends at PJ Stat Tracker. And so I kind of went back and looked at kind of the, the eras, if you will, so I, I found a song from 93 in San Francisco. I looked at a, at a song from Atlanta, 94, actually our, uh, our live cut. Live cut of the week. Of the week yeah. from our, our mini podcast when, uh, a few weeks back about this song in particular. Uh, 95 in Missoula, you know, when, when, when Jack came in and slightly tweaked the drums a little bit. So, but those first few years when they were playing it, it was more or less the, the tribal drum the guitar is kind of doing their little droning thing. And then, you know, uh, Eddie singing over the top and he's just belting from the top of a mountain and starting in Bonnaroo. And they played it probably, I don't know, five, six times in that, that 2008 year. tour, yeah. you know, start, starting there. And then the, uh, the New York and the Virginia and somewhere else. So they did a few of them and it was this completely different vibe. And I don't know that it was as stark as, Jeremy to know Jeremy, and we'll we'll talk about that another time. But it it was different, right? And like you said, the focus completely changed. And you know, they only played it a few times then, but they then they dropped it again for another eight years, and they didn't pick it up again until 2016. So I'm not sure what was really going on in you know the summer of 2016 because it was before the the Hillary Trump election. Um, so maybe maybe it was in in response to that. Um, but it was more like the original again, you know. It, it's 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 Matt doing a simplified version of the original drum. You know, the bass is album correct, and the guitars are not exactly album correct, but they're pretty similar, atmospheric. Ed kind of ad libs in front of the song, which is interesting, and it feels much more controlled than the '93, '94, '95 stuff. Maybe it's because he was older. The last time they played it was a tag in uh, in 2018. You know, it's mostly been a tag on daughter. And Ed actually changes a lyric uh, in that version uh, in Boston. Uh, dirties his hands, it comes right off, changes to dirties his hands, he pays them off. <laughs> so that edit is so interchangeable between then and now, uh, which is not cool. But, um, you know, systemic racism, and we talk about, you know, policeman, policeman, he changes that to policeman president. 
So, I mean, the f- we talk about songs that can live then and now and are still applicable. I mean, thematically, the song is still extremely relevant. Ed adding the corruption layer in more recent recordings only compounds the effect of the song. Musically, they take a trip into quite a different, less confrontational vibe in those 2008 acoustic things. But the song hasn't you know, been played standalone since 2016. We've been looking in, at the news and seeing what's happening in Portland. And our, all our friends in Portland, hopefully, hopefully yeah. you're all safe right now. Um, there's been a lot of weird shit happening up there with mm-hmm. you know, these unidentified soldiers of, of sorts in unmarked rental cars pulling people off the streets who apparently are protesting. We don't know the full details, but it's very, uh, I'm just going to say fascistic. Fuck it. Um, yeah. And it's, it doesn't seem like something that anybody of any political persuasion should, should be in favor of. Um, so, and apparently, you know, today as we're recording this, uh, the president has decided he's going to do that continuously in cities like Kansas city, Albuquerque and Chicago. So we'll see where this takes us, but your point about them playing it, now, if they were still on tour, how do they not? Exactly. All right. Moving on to our Lyric of the Week. All right. This week's Lyric of the Week comes from the album Binaural and the song Grievance. Paul, what do you got? So let's just think about these lyrics for a second, you know, almost as a, a piggyback on what you and I were just talking about. Big guy, big guy watching me have to wonder what it sees. Progress laced with ramifications. Freedom's big plunge. Pull the innocent from a crowd. Raise the sticks, then bring them down. If they fail to obey, if they fail to obey, for every tool they lend us, a loss of independence. And it's that last line to me that really hits home. For every tool they lend us, a loss of independence. I've heard in interviews, Ed talk about this idea that we live in a tech era. We live in a tech age where we have more devices and the ability to reach more people than ever before. I mean, here we are having a video Zoom while we record this podcast. But I could be having the exact same style of communication with somebody in Bucharest right now. Um, Hello to Bucharest, everybody. Exactly. Yeah. But it's this, it's truly mind blowing. I mean, if you told people 200 years ago, you know, you'd be able to sit here, open up a, a small mechanical device, and there would be a screen in front of you, and you can have a conversation with someone. What's a screen? What's a screen <laughs> on the opposite end of the planet? Uh, it blow your mind, and as it should. And yet, despite all of that, we keep inheriting these tools from those who develop them. But what are we losing in the process? We're losing an independence. Um, we're losing independent thought. We're losing independent action. And uh, we're losing independence as a whole. And when I say independence, I'm talking about the freedom, rights. And... Uh, we just talked about this as it relates to Portland. And so there's a grievance that's being aired here in this particular track. And you laughed when I proposed this lyric, mostly because I was the one saying that grievance would probably be better suited as a B side on mm-hmm. my neural. Uh, and my response to you was, Hey man, B sides, it deserves some love too. But, <laughs> but this particular song, I think it really hits home with everything that's going on right now. Um, we do have progress. We have made progress, but there are ramifications and we don't think about those ramifications enough. As somebody who, who works in education, there's this constant battle with trying to integrate technology into the classroom. And we are literally in the middle of a pandemic, my man. And an entire generation of children 
are going to start off a school year basically learning from home on a computer. And I am extremely conflicted about all this because I never had to do that. And I don't think that anybody, I think that everybody's focused exclusively on the ramifications of what happens when you stick a bunch of kids in, in a building. But who's thinking about the ramifications of, you know, what could be an entire year of trying to learn on a computer and the various technology and, and progress that we're integrating into the lives of these children in the hopes that they're going to be able to continue their education. What are they being educated on? I mean, sure, we have pedagogy, content curriculum, scope and sequence and so on, but they're also learning something else. Just like if they were in the classroom, they'd be learning from their peers, right? There's always two types of education happening in right. a classroom. There's that which the teacher teaches, and then there's that which the students learn. And what the students learn is both from the teacher and also their surrounding environment. Well, right now, that surrounding environment is the home. And every home is different. It's not a controlled environment. So if you're growing up in an abusive home or a neglected, or I'm sorry, a, a neglectful home, how does it influence your ability to focus on content. Um, there's just a lot to think about here. And, and I think that this, this particular line, this set of lines really speaks to what we are weeks away from having to deal with, which is, you know, this battle between what is the right thing to do uh, and what is the necessary thing to do and, and do those two things align. And, you know, I'm not saying I have the answers. And again, I hate being the guy that's constantly outlining problems, but not solutions. I think it's interesting that you go, that you went down that path of it, because I think that's a completely valid way to, to view that portion of the song. And I've looked at it as actually a, a more macro level of, you know, when you say big guy, big eye watching me have to wonder what it sees. I thought of, well, I thought of Portland again, but I thought of like Hong Kong and I thought of, you know, the protests with everybody having a cell phone camera and mm -hmm. body cams. And so you think about, you know, social media and Google and Facebook and how much data that they take in and how there are targeted ads for you. So it's like, you think about progress laced with ramifications. Well, yeah, now the world is smaller. The, our, our, our kids can learn via Zoom if need be, if that's what, you know, health experts dictate is the right path, you know, and you can mm -hmm. have, so there, there are all these things to make the world smaller and to, you know, theoretically help us um, grow and progress as a society and, and know more and learn more and meet more people and, and have mm -hmm. cultures you know, be, be closer together and all that good stuff. But what's the ramifications? You know, you get, you get, all these companies and, and governments knowing more about you and therefore you are more susceptible to losing your freedom. And Hey, right. this is what libertarians are all about. But I think there's a lot of overlap with, with liberals too. No, neither, neither one wants to feel constricted in that sense. And I think they, they feel constricted in maybe in different ways. And so you have, you know, people in the protests, you know, you talk about raise the sticks, then bring them down, pull the innocent from the crowd. You know, that's, that's, that I watched that literally happen in Los Angeles. <laughs> Yeah. People standing there with a sign and then a guy over a, a cop on Fairfax beating the shit out of him with a billy club. It's like, that's, it's literal. It happens. So if they fail to obey, if they fail to, fail to obey for every tool, it, they lend us a loss of independence. It, it comes back to globalization. It comes back to, you know, I'm going to give you this cell phone and I'm going to let you, you know, it's, it's going to help you. How many people have become slaves to those very same phones? And that's the point. So you have, you have this tool that can allow you to do so many different things at the touch of a button and allows you to multitask and, and theoretically have more time for yourself and do more things. And yet but, you can't put it down. But then, exactly. You can't put it down. And, and like I said, with targeted ads and with the data that's collected by all these companies, you are actually being restricted. So, you know, South Park made the, made the joke a long time ago about, uh, the iTunes terms of of service and how people just find <laughs> their life away. Great episode, by the way. But like, mm -hmm. that's it. I mean, I, again, this is another song of our that we've chosen here where we've both come to really interesting, valid interpretations of a section of a song um, that were com completely different. So I I wouldn't have thought of it in in the in the teaching way. Obviously you would because you are a teacher and I'm thinking about it from this government 
you know, control. I think your perspective is more apt to the song as it was written. I do think, though, and the beauty of Pearl Jam's music, and I think the beauty of all music is that, you know, and a lot of artists will tell you this, is they want the song. They don't like to tell you what a song means because they want you to find meaning for Which yourself. Which you both acknowledge right? that we hate that usually. <laughs> I know. We do hate it when an artist says that. That being said, though, there is credence to that because here we are not arriving at dis- different conclusions as to what the song was trying to say, but simply applying it to a far more comprehensive platform in a way that allows the meaning of these lyrics to connect on more than one level. And what does that do? It adds gravity to the song. It, it adds purpose to the song. It allows the song to be shared, to be used as a communication tool, which, I mean, knowing the band, I think they would love that. Well, um, I feel like we've, we could probably keep talking about this, but we're not going to. We're going to get to our live cut of the week. And, uh, okay, live card of the week of Gravens. Uh, obviously, it's going to come from the Binaural Tour. And ugh, many people think the Binaural Tour was maybe the best tour. Um, it's it's very consistently good. And the recordings mm-hmm. are very consistently good. Uh, so I'm very curious as to what you chose here, my friend. You know, I went with this, uh, this, this cutoff, Saratoga, my man. Ooh, yes. It's a great show. August 27, 2000, Saratoga Performing Arts Center. Right. Saratoga Springs, New York. Eddie's standing on stage. He's got a t-shirt on that says Champagne Breakfast Club. Mm-hmm. And when he hits that line in grievance, he literally points to the song emphatically, you know? And uh, the last time they were in Saratoga, they had actually been opening for Soundgarden eight years prior. Okay, so 1992. And he said he was wearing that exact same shirt as that night. Yep. Uh, you know, uh, uh, there's just these little pearls like that. So to have have a callback to eight years prior involving a shirt that also features a lyric in a song that he points to. I mean, it's it's so prophetic on so many levels, and there, there's it's serendipitous, I guess, is a better word to say. So, and the band was charged. It was an electric show. The energy was through the, through. I, I say through the roof, but you know, it was the amphitheater. Um, no it was yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But uh, Great show, great performance of the song. They were totally dialed in at this point. I mean, they had been basically touring uh, since April twelfth. It looks like was almost nonstop. Yeah, yeah, nonstop, man. They were they were in a groove at this point. So they just nailed it. It was it was if there was ever a show where grievance had its opportunity to, to you know to be the leading lady, as it were, this was it. And by the way, guys, there is a lovely uh, fan cam footage on YouTube of this song to illustrate mm-hmm. what Paul's talking about with the, with the shirt. So, uh, yeah, August 27th, 2000, Saratoga Springs, New York.
you said it, Paul. I mean, not only is this show one of my favorite from 2000, but it is one of my favorite versions of Grievance. And and you you said it's more of a B side for you. I've always enjoyed this song a lot, so I, I'm I'm really stoked that we chose it. I'm really stoked that you chose this version. And ah, uh, that T-shirt line is is fucking great, guys. Watch the video. I'm telling you. What more can be said, my man? It it really is an exceptional cut of this track. And uh, as I mentioned before, you know, if if the, if there was ever a a front and center stage moment for Grievance, I think that uh, this particular show, this is it. This is it. All right. Well, we uh, we hope you enjoy this one, guys. I had a lot of fun with this one. Um, even as predictable as I guess the number one uh, closer might have been, uh, you may have all guessed it before we even started. But uh, we'll be back with you next week. And until then, this is the state of love and trust. Yeah.